0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Warren. I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, this Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, if you don't own one of these things, and uh, maybe you've got older children, uh, maybe you're looking for a resource to like read the Bible with your kids, this is an incredible resource by Sally Lloyd Jones. It's like we're, we, are I think, uh, in the history of Veritas, we've said multiple times. We, uh, no, we don't have like a secret endorsement or something of this book. We're not getting royalties after, ha- after however many times we've presented this book from the front. It's just really that good. Um, I've read these stories many times with my own kids and continue to do so. And uh, I got to tell you, like tear jerkers, y'all. Like I can't get through most of these stories without the beauty of the gospel and what God has done in the beauty of the gospel overwhelming me to the point of tears. So dads, cry in front of your kids. It'll help them. It'll help them show, you, show, show them Jesus. Uh, pick up one of these if you don't have one of these. Again, my name is Jacob Warren, and uh, I serve as one of the pastors here at Veritas Church, and uh, this afternoon we are actually celebrating 10 years together of God's grace and kindness together uh, to gather at uh, 584 South Riley Road uh, just to celebrate. We'll have some cake, some pizza, from 4 to 6. We'd love to see you there. We'll pray together for a little bit, but um, God has just been really, really kind to us together as a church, and we're going to celebrate what he's done over the past 10 years. Uh, but this morning, uh, we're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians. What's normal for us and what's been normal for, for, the, for us is that over the life of the entire church is to preach straight through books of the Bible, and that's what we've been doing. So grab your Bible and meet me in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. This morning we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And what we're going to see in this text today that I believe that Paul is going to show us that the He's going to turn for what he's been doing for the first uh, three chapters in the book uh, of of sharing about our spiritual blessings in Christ, the fact that we've been saved by grace, and the fact that we've been brought together as one church as both Jew and Gentile or whatever other thing that might define us. But the primary thing that defines us as followers of Jesus is just that, that we are followers of Jesus united together as his church. And in chapter four, he turns from what Jesus has done to establish the uh, the church to what, what the church is now called to do in Him, And that what he's going to say is that the church is called to grow, to look more like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. If you've got a Bible, um, I'll read these verses for us this morning. The very word of God for us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another... And love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean But that he descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray again for God's help, church. Jesus, we pray this morning um, for your help as we look to your word. Uh, God, we look to your word for guidance. We look to your word for wisdom. God, we we look to your word for hope this morning. God, I pray that the good news of the gospel would just be on full display um, as it has been, as we've walked through uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians. I pray that today, as we look into what the church is called to do, who the church is called to be, um, God, I pray that it would bring us hope, uh, that it would bring us life, it would bring us joy, Um, and that we would really live into this reality so that we as a church body would grow together uh, and build um, each other and ourselves up in love as we grow to look more and more like you, Jesus. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in Ephesians Ephesians chapter uh, 4, this main point of Paul here is that the church is called to grow, and it's to grow to look more and more like Jesus. And there's this dominant metaphor in the last couple verses of Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul references and uses this metaphor of the church as the body of Christ. If you think about a body, the body's got a whole bunch of different parts, right? Hands and feet and arms and legs and all that other stuff. And that body of Christ is called to grow. we just had kids up here on the stage, and I mean... It was amazing that none of those kids kind of lost it on stage, right? That was kind of a miracle, right? Like that was a, just a minor miracle that we got to enjoy this morning. Uh, that doesn't normally happen. Uh, normally parent-child dedications, you got one of those kids, and it's, at one point it was my kid, just kind of losing, losing in whatever they had up there on the stage. And you're just like, I'm called to parent this kid. You know, Help me, church, do it, you know? But we're, we, we expect things to grow, a body is expected to grow and change, and, but we, what we want to do is to shape that growth. We want to shape that growth and, and have intentional growth, and what Paul says this, this, this growing should look like, to look more and more like Jesus, there's three main things he's going to say is going to get us there. What's the means by which we grow to look more and more like Jesus in, as a part of his church? The first is maintaining unity in verses 1 through 6. The second is going to be accepting our individual ministry and the ministries within the church in 7 through 12. And then finally, growing and seeking growth in maturity in verses 13 through 16. And that'll guide our time together. And Talking about growth, um, I grew up in uh, Dunn, North Carolina, not too far from here. And part of my uh, growing up, I worked for my family members because that's what you do when you're in a rural community, right? So I packed cotton and big cotton trailers from my grandpa. Um, I, uh, barn tobacco with one of my uncles, but uh, one of my, uh, longest stints, I actually had a job, I worked for another uncle, his name was Steve, and he owned a business called Steve's Plants. And, uh, it was, it was a lot of plants, like greenhouses after greenhouses, full, chock full of plants, hanging baskets, uh, vegetable plants in trays, all kinds of stuff. So I got to see plants go from tiny little seeds, put in a tray to these massive things over time from all of the, uh, the, the perennials and the, some of the trees that he has that we had for years. We got to see them grow over time. And the one thing, if you went and looked inside of those greenhouses, that you would notice over time is those things needed constant maintenance. They needed constant pruning. They needed constant attention and care. A lot of Careful attention had to be put into every single one of those hanging baskets. We were kind of famous for hanging baskets at the farmer's market at one point, and it's because we trimmed back our hanging baskets more than anybody else. We put in the time to make sure that those things flourished. Because the flourishing that we want to see in our lives and in others' lives and in our families, those things never happen by accident. Have you ever walked into a beautiful garden before and thought, Oh man, this has been here from the beginning of time. Now you think, who's the gardener maintaining this thing? Who are the people responsible for cultivating beauty? I've got a hedge in between my house and my neighbors. And like a couple months ago, I got out there with like a machete and I'm trying to whack it all down, trying to keep that that stuff at bay, you know? Like the thorns and the thistles from Genesis chapter three, they're showing themselves, right? And I'm covered in, you know, uh, poison ivy and sumac afterwards. Like, creation itself, if we don't maintain it, if we don't give it a constant attention and, and care, it's going to go haywire, it's going to go out of control. And this is what Paul is going to tell us in this passage. If we're going to grow to look more like Jesus, it's going to take constant attention. And the first thing he's going to start off with is unity. That's where we start, and the unity that we have in Christ. Look with me at verse One again of Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, "I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, worthy of the calling to which you've been called." Almost like this double calling here. See this uh, that uh, Paul talking about unity here. He's going to go from our shared calling, which has a lot to do with our character, like how that plays out in time, and then he's going to talk about our shared confession here in just a few verses. See, Paul urges us to walk worthily of our calling. If you remember back to the other early chapters of Ephesians, that we were called by Christ Jesus, called out of death into life, called out of darkness into light. That calling that we have received, we had nothing to do with. We were dead in our trespasses and our sin, and it is God that resurrected us and brought us to new life. We had nothing to do with it, but now that we have been called, and we all share that same calling, none of us had anything to do with our individual salvations. That's only an act of grace by God to bring us into the family, but now that we have been called, we walk worthy of our calling, and that means that we uh, we need to walk in the ways that's worthy of that calling that Christ has placed on our lives. It means we've got to do something about it. James would write later in the New Testament that faith without works is dead, that yes, faith is the primary thing you need, right? You need faith in order to, uh, to be saved by God, but faith is never left alone, We are saved by faith alone, but faith itself is never just alone. It's always accompanied by works. We need to do something about it. We need to walk into this calling to which we've been called. And Paul details what this looks like. In verse 2 he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. So not not pride, but humility should mark the way that we relate to one another as part of Jesus's church. Gentleness should mark the way that we relate with one another, not being harsh. Patience should be what marks our relationship with one another, not being quick-tempered. Again, back to the analogy and just like the practical picture of having these kids on the stage. Many of us at the room are parents. And what, we, what do we want our parenting to be marked by? <laughs> Humility, gentleness, patience, right? What is it often marked by? A little bit of pride, I know better, listen to me, because I said so, right? Not harsh, quick-tempered. This can often uh, mark the way that our parenting looks. And that's because in the New Testament, Paul's going to use this language all over the place where he's assuming that the people within the church that have been called together, uh, to partner together as one body, should relate to one another like a family. We relate to one another like a family, with humility and gentleness and patience just look at what it says at the beginning at uh, the end of verse two it says bearing with one another in love that literally means putting up with one another <laughs> putting up with one another you ever have a family member or someone at work or, or someone that you in your social circles that you have to just put up with there's a sense of just like well you exist over there and i exist over here this is a little bit different right This putting up with one another is not just like, hey, we got some crazy uncles in the family. I'll just have to meet them at Christmas and get over it. You know, whatever the crazy thing he says. The bearing one with one another that he's talking about here is in the constant, regular, habitual meeting together of the church of Jesus. This bearing together is like a constant bearing together. You don't get to ignore those people in the family. Yeah, they're crazy, but they're still your uncle kind of thing, right? Like they're in the house, also, too, this, this, this sense in which we've been called to bear with one another, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, because we've all been called by the same Holy Spirit, this unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, is because it's a natural outworking of the, the, the active presence of the Holy Spirit in our own individual lives. Remember, again, we share the same calling, called by Jesus to faith in Him, and Chapter 1 says that we're all sealed with, with the Holy Spirit as the promise, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of the whole of our inheritance in future glory. So the Holy Spirit seals each one of us here, and we're all inextricably linked to one another as a church family. This means we don't get to write anybody off in the family. Not just that. The thing that holds us together when this gets tough and when this gets hard, is not just remembering our shared uh, calling, it's remembering our shared confession. Look again at verse 4 through 6. Verse 4 through 6, Paul gives like a small little creed here. He says, there is one body, one spirit to which you've been called, and one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. These are seven one statements here. And that seven, is not uh, that's not a mistake. Paul is, yes, he's an apostle. He's writing the inspired word of God, but he's a smart guy. He's going to give us seven one statements because seven is a very, very important number in the Hebrew tradition. Seven days of the week, seven ways in which we, uh, we, we follow Jesus. The seven word is the, a number of perfection a number of completion. This is like, if you're going to get a summary of the Christian faith, here's a good, faithful account of it. And this is why we do things like confess the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed together regularly as a church is because we believe these are faithful examples of how to put the gospel on our lips, get the gospel into our heads and down into our hearts, and give us a good summary of what it means to follow Jesus, the essentials of the faith. Because when things get hard with people in your family or things get hard with people in your church family, what you need to do is unify around the things that you hold with a closed hand. You need to unify around the essentials of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Here's what Paul says, it's one body. There's only one church. There's one Spirit. This the Holy Spirit that unites us all together. There's one hope. There's the one hope of resurrection, of eternal life that's found in Jesus. He is our one Lord. Only Him alone. We pledge allegiance to Jesus and Him alone. One faith. There's only one way. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, He meant that no one comes to the Father except through Him. There's only one way to eternal life, and that's Jesus. One faith. It's where we get the scriptures that hold us together. You can't throw out the Bible and say, I'm going to keep Jesus. No, if you throw out the Bible, you lose Jesus. There's only one faith, and this tells us what it is. There's only one baptism. There's only one cleansing that could cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and it was the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, and there is only one God and Father. Did you notice there the mention of the Holy Spirit, the mention of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mention of God, who is our Father. It means that the Trinity, <laughs> that's, that's a doctrine that you can't just like pass on, like, nah, I'm going to take Christianity, but I'm going to leave out the Trinity. No, it's right there on the surface. God put the cookies on the bottom shelf for us here. Like, this is our triune God on display in the beauty of this gospel. We have a God who rules everything. And he relates to us primarily as a Father who loves us. Again, this is why we confess these things, and it's good for us to have a way to quickly communicate the gospel because we're all called to the work of ministry. And this is the next thing that Paul tells us, that we need to accept our ministry and that we're all called to the work of ministry. Let's look at verses 7 through 12. I'll read it these verses again for us. Paul says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, in this section, Paul quotes Uh, Psalm 68, if you didn't pick up on it there, uh, he's actually doing a little apostolic uh, interpretation here, a little apostolic addition to make it clear that Jesus is the conquering king of Psalm 68. But Jesus, as the conquering king of Psalm 68, uses his power and possessions not for his own good and to control others. Jesus, as the conquering king of Psalm 68, uses his power and his possessions and he entrusts those things with the church. He uses his power and possessions to equip the church. Here's what he does with his gifts. He uses them to gift us with them. See, it says in this passage that he descended. And what that means here, I know it can get a little obscure for us with this whole ascension and descension language in there, but you track with me for a second. Jesus, we believe, is God, and he descended in his incarnation. That's when he became flesh. He took on flesh. He added to his divinity, his, his humanity, and added to himself the personhood of, of, of real humanity. He was born as a baby. He was born with a belly button. Like he came out, he cried. And was, we sing about silent night. It wasn't silent, I'm sorry. Like Mary was screaming, he was screaming. It was not a silent night. He was a real human baby. But didn't Jesus live the perfect life that we could never live in our place and for us and then died a sinner's death, a further descending, if you will, into death itself for our place on the cross. Jesus did not stay dead. This all this talk about ascending, Jesus ascended from the grave, conquering sin and death and hell. And what this means is that there's bad news for you if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you are still left under the judgment of God for your sins. That when Jesus rose again from the grave, conquering sin, hell, and death, he did so for those who would believe in him and be a part of his church, the the, the church that Paul is writing to here. Paul's writing to believers here. Those who would place their faith and hope in Jesus. Those who are partnered together with that local church. And so there's an offer on the table for you this morning. You sit under the righteous judgment of God because of your sin. There is hope to be had in Jesus because he has ascended from the dead and not just there. Before he ascended on high to go rule over all things in the heavenly realms and be seated at the right hand of the Father, he takes that power, he takes his possessions, the thing he won over death and hell and the grave. You know what he does with it? He says, all authority in heaven and earth were given to me. And the next words on his lips are, you go, you take the good news of the gospel, my followers, to the ends of the earth. You take the good news, you baptize, you teach, you show the way, you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be with you even until the end of the age. But the the biggest gift that Jesus gives us is not the gifts that he equips us with individually. It's the presence of his Holy Spirit. The biggest gift Jesus gives us is his own presence in our lives. So, Jesus then ascends to heaven where he now reigns at the right hand of the Father. And so we must ask ourselves the question, what are these gifts? Verse 7 first tells us one thing about the gifts, is that it's not just a select few who get them. It's not just Christian elites who get his gifts. Look at verse 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. This means that every single one of us, every single follower of Jesus, are equipped with the gifts that Jesus wants them to have. Every single one. He's not going to call you to a task as a a Christian or as a church without equipping you for it. Also, in verse 11, he details about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers that were gifts to the church. And if, if you will, just recognize all of these things are word ministries to the church. Means by which Jesus wants to communicate. This is who I am. This is what I've come to do. This is the offer on the table for you. This is word ministries of the apostles writing the New Testament. This is the prophets that spoke on God's behalf this is evangelists, those uniquely kind of given to heralding the good news of the gospel, pastors and shepherds that care and tend for the flock and teachers to explain and apply scripture. But again, don't get so up in, up in the weeds of, okay, well, what am I? Am I one of these numbers? Or what? No, it's not, that's not the point. We have, we have five different New Testament listings of spiritual gifts in the Bible. See, the point of the gifts is that you walk in them. The points of the gifts is that you would use them not just obsess all the time about like, okay, what's mine, what's mine, what's mine all the time. See, the purpose of the gifts is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That means every single one of us is called to ministry. It's not just me and Ryan that are paid by the church that are, okay, we're the ministers here in the church, check the box, we've got our ministers, they're the guys that are paid to do ministry. No, all of us, every single follower of Jesus is called to ministry ministry. And again, the primary way that that works out is the word ministries of the leaders of the church is invested to the the saints of the church to go do the ministry of the church by primarily proclaiming the same truth they've been taught by the leaders of the church. get it? Leaders with the gospel communicate the gospel to the people. The people then take the gospel to the nations. Same game plan from Jesus. Matthew 28, go read it after this. It's always been the same game plan. I'm going to give you my most precious gift of my own promised Holy Spirit so that you can take the good news of the gospel to the hurting world around you. And the way that these gifts express themselves most of the time, because Paul doesn't really talk about the advancement of the gospel in this passage, he talks about the way that these gifts are to be used here among these people, the people within the church, that all gifts are given by God to serve each other. See, Christ gives to us so that we can give to others, and all gifts are given by by grace, but to walk in them actually does require effort. I think think this passage with all the, the listings of the different leader gifts does show that there's a difference in our giftings. And that's actually a really good thing. There's a diversity of gifts within the church, and that's because it's to meet the needs of the diverse needs of the church. See, these gifts listed are primarily word-based ministries, but the church is to be equipped for the work of ministry. I think that essentially looks like serving and giving to others. And again, it starts here. It starts here among these people, the church itself. Because the church doesn't exist just to bless me. See, we are all saved and given to our churches. Think of yourself as a gift given to this church in order to bless each other. See, a lot of us are going to leave here this afternoon. We're going to go home or go to a restaurant somewhere. We're going to see a TV, whether it's our house or in a restaurant. We're going to see the NFL game. We often think of the church as kind of like an NFL game. We we treat church that way, where, um, you know, we we look at the players in the field and they're all exhausted. Those are the the people that we say are doing ministry, right? Because they're all just like... Absolutely exhausted, like playing out there in the field. There's a coach screaming at the players uh, on the sidelines to, you know, do better, try harder, all that stuff. We think that that's primarily what pastors do. They just scream at people, do better, try harder, right? And then finally, we're in the stands, right? That's where we see ourselves. We're in the bleachers, you know, maybe we're in the nosebleeds, couldn't afford good seats, you know. Uh, Lord help us if we're watching on TV as the church, right? No. That that cannot be us. The church is anything but that. See, if the church, according to this passage, is anything but that, we're all saved by God, gifted by God, and equipped by God to equip others. See, the church is the only place where everyone gets to play. Everyone is necessary in the church. See, this is the, the, the place where Paul begins to talk about Christian ministry and what Paul says it takes. It takes all of us. Let's look at the last bit of this passage together in verses 13 through 16, where Paul talks about what it means to grow in maturity. In verse 13, Paul says this. Paul says, "...until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the first thing we see in this last bit is that knowing Jesus better, growing to know and look like Jesus is the point. It's the point of your Christian walk. It's the point of your Christian life. It's the reason why you've been equipped by gifts, by by Jesus. It's the point that you've been called together into a family is to know Jesus better. This is the way we measure spiritual maturity. A lot of us tend to be on one end of the spectrum here. We either tend to think that Christian maturity is measured by how much you're doing or just how much you know. And Paul doesn't give us those categories here. He says it's knowledge of Jesus, not knowledge of a systematic theology book. Not even knowledge of like, all the, the words of Scripture, even though that's incredibly important. And I'm not uh, downplaying the importance of doctrine here. I'm saying that the, Paul says that the point and growth, the, the, the goal of Christian life is the knowledge of the Son of God. We know Jesus better. And so follower of Jesus here in the room are you growing to know, are you searching are you, are you are you working towards trying to know Jesus better? Is there a place in your life? Are there people that have been given to you in your life that you're actually committed to saying, "Hey, I want to grow as a follower of Jesus. Will you help me do that." Whether that's in a community group, a discipleship group, when, you know, you're gathering together with us during Bible studies, Maybe it's something super informal where you're just meeting together with another guy early at the crack of dawn. I know that's been normal for me over the past number of years in ministry of like, okay, I got young kids, you got young kids. <laughs> I guess it's Panera, you know, at 530. Let's do this thing. If this is the goal, if this is the point, it should be primary in your life. It should be primary. And I'm not telling you, I'm not dictating where it should happen and precisely how it should happen, but it's got to be happening. And the the context that that Paul defines for it is the church. It's the church. The second thing Paul tells us too is it's dangerous not to seek spiritual maturity. Paul says, he gives us this picture that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Um, I've got a young uh, kid, his name's Levi, he's eight. Yeah, have you ever seen a kid out there in the waves just getting like messed up by the waves every you know every wave comes it just crashes rolls all over him he's like covered in sand and all that stuff it's because the ocean is that powerful and you're that helpless when all those waves are crashing over you but me as a fully mature man i can walk out holding his hand and kind of take the brunt of the wave wave still hurts the wave still is powerful but it's not knocking me over i've matured i've grown That's what Paul says here. There's a danger in not speaking spiritual maturity that we not be children. See, there's many ways this expresses itself in our day and age. Whether it's the kind of winds of culture that says, well, if you don't affirm me and my identity, you're doing violence to me. Like, what do you do with that? Like, what do you do when people say, well, how could you ever believe that a man died and came back from the dead? That's ridiculous. People don't die and come back from the dead. Give me proof of the resurrection. What do you do with that? See, there's winds and waves of doctrine. There's deceitful schemes when people want to kind of get their claws into you and preach you things like, hey, if you give more, if you give more to the church, you're going to be blessed. You're going to reap more. You're going to get more stuff. You're going to have a bigger house and better car and all that other stuff. That's garbage. Prosperity gospel, garbage. What you need to do is it is dangerous not to seek spiritual maturity. And the place that we need to see it is by combating these lies that we're bombarded with all the time is by speaking the truth in love. Look with me at verse 15 together. It says, this is the game plan. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, collective we, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ so, the goal of you know, Christian maturity is to look more like Jesus, to know Jesus better. But it's going to take something. Speaking the truth in love is going to take vulnerability, it's going to take intentionality, it's going to take time. Ray Ortland has a phrase, he's a, a longtime pastor, and he says that change in, in the life of a Christian uh, takes three elements. You need three things, three ingredients gospel, safety, and time. You don't change without those three gospel, safety, and time. Without the gospel, you just got safety and time. You might just be affirming people in their own sin. You ever been in a group praying with someone? Someone says something? Oh man, I'm struggling with this really hard. And the next thing out of someone else's mouth is just like, that's okay. Me too, man. And then like, no one ever says like, brother, like, that's I want to pray for you on your behalf that you would find victory over that because Jesus doesn't just tell us the, the, the problem that we have. He gives us the solution to our problem. Jesus doesn't just die on the cross for our sins, but he resurrects from the grave. Like that means because of Jesus's death and resurrection, we can walk in actual victory. It's never We're never going to be perfect. We never get to say, well, I don't struggle with sin anymore. I've given up on sin. No, we never get to say that, but we can offer a good news. It's not just news that we have. We have good news for people that struggle, good news for people that doubt, good news for people that just can't get it together. None of us can get it together. Only Jesus has. Brother, sister, come alongside me. Let's go to the cross together. Let's confess our sins. Let's repent. And see that Jesus has something better for us because in this, God, again, he promises the results. Look at the last verse together. Verse 16. He says, All this, as we speak the truth in love to one another, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint through which it is equipped, each part is working properly. He says, Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And this Speaking the truth in love, this growing together is beautiful, but that doesn't mean it's not painful. Remember back to all those hanging baskets that my, uh, my uncle and I spent so, many time, uh, so much time together, pruning back, watering, adding the right things to it to make them beautiful. I don't think the plant liked it very much when you're getting pruned, when you're getting cleaned up, when you're trying to, trying to make that thing flourish. It wasn't fun all the time, The end result was worth it. The end result was all the more beautiful for it. We can trust the God that wants to see this happen in the context of our church because he makes good on his promises. he says, I'm going to die, three days later I'm going to rise again from the grave, the most miraculous thing that could have happened, if he can make good on that promise, he can make good on the promises to his church to see us grow to know Jesus better, to grow, to to see each other grow in our life in Christ and look more and more like Jesus. Church, as um, I close, I just want to give you a couple questions that you might ponder this week. Uh, The first of which is, how could you help maintain unity within this church? And a lot of this times we, we kind of float up here all the way up in the ether, maintaining unity, you know, these grand things, but it starts with simple things like sending a text to someone, that you missed out this morning with. Like, hey, it's been a couple weeks since I've seen you. Are you stuck down there in JRTC? Can I pray for you, brother? Did you just get out of the box? Maybe it's apologizing to someone. Knowing that you hurt someone's feelings and just apologizing, it goes further than you think. Showing up earlier, staying late, to just pray or talk to someone before or after the gathering, all these things help build and maintain unity within this church. Also, too, how are you using your gifts? If someone's called it out on you, are like, hey, when you communicate the truths of the scripture, like, that's helpful, like, that's good, like, that helps me. Are, are you using those giftings? Like, are you good at having conversations with people to help, help them see an area of their life where they're out of step with the gospel in, like a, in, in a way that's gracious and kind? Are you doing that? Are you stepping into the hard? Are, are you an older, more seasoned saint in here uh, that's you maybe you're an empty nester and you got like three or four nights a week you just ain't got nothing going on like please invite some of the younger folks into your home uh, to help them know and follow jesus please we need that finally what's holding you back what's holding you back from stepping into some of these things i know that for me in time, internal struggle for me is well, well what if it doesn't go well you know What if it? What if it? uh, That conversation doesn't go as well as I want it to, or maybe if I come off wrong, or maybe if I seek to love someone and pursue someone, what if they choose to just persist in? What if they pursue? What if they want like not be my friend afterwards? No, this work is worth it. This work is worthy of our entire lives to growing to look more and more like Jesus alongside of one another. Like yes, we have to maintain unity in that and that. You know, make sure that we recognize one another's gifts, but if we're going to grow and mature to the church that Jesus calls, is calling us to, we're going to have to commit ourselves to that work together. And It takes every single one of us. We pray that we would. Jesus, um, I pray that this morning um, we would again recognize um, just the grandeur and beauty of our calling, um, that we have been one from darkness to life. Uh, that once uh, we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, um, God, we have the beautiful hope of the gospel. We have the joy of our salvation. Um, We have um, good news and life pulsing through our veins because of what you've done, Jesus. God, I pray that that um, confidence in our calling, uh, that is unshakable, uh, God, would produce in us A commitment um, to walk in in accordance and worthily of the calling that you've called us to as a part of your church, Um, Jesus. I pray for those of us that uh, maybe are new um, or have been uh, waiting on stepping in and joining church family. Maybe today's the day where they make a commitment to do that—to join, link arms with us in ministry, um, to know and be known here at Veritas. Uh, God, I pray for those of us that are here feel weak, feel frail, um, maybe. Struggling deeply with sin, God, I pray that this would be uh, a safe place uh, for them to confess and repent, knowing that um, this is the means by which we live, <laughs> um, that all of life is one of continual repentance. Um, Jesus, I pray that that good news that is offered today uh, would be just that good news that you offer um, if we come to you uh, and lay down our burdens, um, we get yours, uh, and your burden's easy and your yoke is light. Jesus, I pray uh, that we would come to you and respond now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.